0: Alright, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for fifteen dollars a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on US. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of forty-five dollars equivalent to fifteen dollars per month. Unlimited over forty gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active mint customers by five thirty one twenty-four. Get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. In the UK, the summer holidays have finally started. I'm in Spain this week and indeed for the next six weeks so podcasts might be a little bit more sporadic than normal we'll see how i get on a special thanks to my editor alex george who's been on board for the last few months and made a massive difference to my sound and of course editing alex lives in spain and i live in england so there's been a wonderful sharing of audio across the continent to continue to bring you the best we can muster and also we're talking about doing our own spain focused podcast so do watch this space The podcast, The Big Travel Podcast, is going from strength to strength thanks to you listening and a few recommendations in the press and on podcast newsletters, websites, travel blogs, etc. So thank you so much for continuing to listen and spread the word. It is very much appreciated. I've also been recording some other podcasts with some very special people. One is a very well-known BBC presenter who's chosen to do the podcast with me which is wonderful and also a lady who is really I would say living history so I really hope to share these with you very soon so again watch this space I will let you know as soon as these are available anyway talking of travel blogs let's get on to today's guest she's a fascinating traveler who I met at a travel conference not so long ago and she happens to live five minutes walk from me in London so she came round. we had a cup of tea and a really great conversation about her very very interesting travels Have been listening to the podcast.
1: I have, yeah. So you know what it's
0: about.
1: Yes, I was preparing myself. Uh, and there are really good episodes as well.
0: How have you prepared yourself? I'm interested to know.
1: Well, I was just thinking, what would Lisa ask me and how would I answer? And it just like I tried in my brain to go through my usual answers of like, how did you start traveling? How did this? And I don't know. It's just like I think I semi-prepared myself, but let's see, let's see how this goes. Let's do it,
0: let's do it. Why don't you tell me who you are, first of all?
1: My name is Esra el Hamal, and some people know me as the Arabian Wondrous on social media and the blog. I've been living abroad for like the past, let's say, 10 years. So I'm originally Saudi. I was born in Saudi, raised in Saudi, and after high school, I got a scholarship to go to the US and that was like the first year that we've had Public scholarships from the government, and I was one of the very lucky ones to get one. And I was in the US for a little bit, but I didn't graduate from there. I transferred to the UK, and it was shocking at the beginning. I was like, Oh my god, but there is no technology here. It felt so strange.
0: In the UK? Yeah. Really? We don't have technology?
1: (laughs) I mean, as like what are we lacking? Oh, when it was like back in 2010, and I just came from the US, and in my mind it was just so different, but now I'm very very thankful that I'm actually in the UK, especially with the US political climate. So it's it was a blessing in disguise, let's just say. That's
0: very interesting because I, I America has this sort of interesting relationship with technology is that you think they're really on the ball with things, but then they yes. were really late adopters of things like texting. I remember going there and you couldn't text you know when you were texting in europe and they with mobile phones they weren't as good as us so i'm interested in what technology you thought that they had i
1: I don't even remember i was just like maybe because i went to manchester first oh yeah
0: they don't even have electricity there so
1: it's (laughs) like i went there and i i remember we were out of the airport i was with my mom and my sister and we're just in a taxi getting to like wherever we were supposed to And I was like, whoa, this is the UK? Like, I came to London as a child, but I didn't remember anything. And then it was Manchester, so it was a bit... Like, the first year, I had to really... Adapt, but then after that, it was, I was like, Oh my god, I'm so thankful I'm actually within Europe in the UK and not in the US. And it opened up all the traveling doors for me. I don't think I would have traveled as much if I was still in the US.
0: Well, the thing about the US, and I've said this so many times on the podcast, is we laugh at Americans that don't have passports, but it's so vast, you know, to leave the country takes a huge amount of money. Time and effort, okay. and there's so much to explore yeah. there, so you can kind of forgive them. And we're so lucky here to have so many different countries and cultures literally an hour away, you know. Exactly. You can go to so many places. Like
1: my friend from Canada, we were having a conversation yesterday, and I was telling her how cheap my tickets were to France. They were like 12 pounds, and it's I snagged them.
0: Yeah, that's amazing.
1: Return. Is that, was that
0: everything, taxes, and that's what it cost? Yeah, it was
1: Ryanair. Wow. So it was like £5 one way and then like £6 the other, or like something like that. Like my luggage, like my carry-on was £12 each way, which was more expensive than my actual thing. And she was like, even with that, this is amazing. Like to them, they need, she was saying, a minimum of 1200 anywhere to, like even within Canada itself. And I was like, wow, I feel sad for you. <laughs>
0: And I I remember those days of cheap flights. And of course, I can't do them as easily now because I've got kids. And when you when you're restricted by the whole, I mean, obviously, I do go away without them as well. But there's a certain amount of restrictions, which you don't have yet. Uh, But um, uh, let's start with Saudi maybe, because we have this people tend to have this impression of Saudi women Mm. as repressed. And you don't seem very
1: repressed to me. (laughs) Did you have a repressed childhood? It was very normal. I mean, it was before the internet. So, (laughs) I mean, in that way, it wasn't, you know, like compared to kids right now, Maybe they would look at me like, "How did you live your life without the internet?" But it was a very normal childhood. I guess as a girl, I, you know, what we you would think of like super girly activities. That's what I did. So I did the sewing and knitting and drawing and reading books. So like, I guess it's some parts of England they do exactly the same thing. I guess so. Yeah, and it's just like. Um, and then when I was a teenager, my mom took us out. We went to Bahrain, which is the next country. And and they have cinemas there. So that was the only change of, like, something that we didn't have growing up. But now there are cinemas in Saudi. So, I mean, it's fine. Like, I, I don't feel like I missed out on a lot, especially as a child. As a child, you're like, you know, you're spoiled. You get taken out. Like, we went to pizzas every Friday. You know, it was just very normal. Like, we go to the mall. We go to... Just the exact usual things. I think you realize maybe your lack of opportunities when you become a teenager or when you are an adult and say you want to go to museums and art galleries and all of these things and then you're like, oh... We only have two museums here. We only have one gallery. And it is just like, it kind of an eye-opening, but I didn't feel like, oh my God, what is that life that I'm missing? I never felt it growing up.
0: But you didn't feel repressed as a woman, because it's only recently that women have been allowed to drive. I mean, obviously you were too young to drive, but you know, were there any restrictions or or was that just normal life? The thing is,
1: there are restrictions on both men and women and people don't, like, talk about that. Yes, men have few more options, but not by a huge amount. The main thing that is special about Saudi that you don't see in other places is um, the permission to leave the country, which is applied on women. So, well, it's applied on... um, Um, boys under the age of 18 or 16 I think like they need their dad's permission but women of all ages need that permission so that's the thing that I think people refer to the most but in terms of like everyday life it's quite similar like we get the same jobs and now they've been actually booming in jobs where a lot of women work as engineers doctors, bank managers, and you don't see a lot of that represented in the media. I'm not saying Saudi is perfect. No country is perfect. Like all of them have problems. Um but it just in terms of jobs and everyday life, it's fine. Like it's not like I don't know what people want for Saudi women to be liberated. Like what do they want? Is it driving? Well, we had drivers. Yes, I know it was restrictive, but I would have liked more than the women being able to drive. I would have liked a transportation system. I would have liked tubes and trains and things because Saudi is huge. Like from everybody knows about Mecca and Medina, but it takes me, I live in the east of Saudi, so it takes two hours plane to arrive there so I would have liked a more intense um, transportation system which they are kind of working on at the moment so there's like um, the train station in Riald, and they're working on things like that so there are changes that are happening slowly and I think they're positive in terms of like it's just a lot of media love to focus on Muslim women in general being oppressed. And you're like, how? I guess, yes, there is oppression. I'm not saying there isn't. There is oppression everywhere. There's, like, violence cases against women in the U.S. And they are in the in Saudi as well. Like, it's just... It's not black and white. There's, like, so many grey areas. I guess it's just the clothing as well. Yeah. Well, the thing is, people think everybody just wears black abayas there, but it's not true. Everybody's, like, changing now, especially, like, the younger generation. So a lot of people wear pink abayas and brown abayas and blue ones, and it's just... For women, I think it's not actually terrible with abayas. Like when I go to Saudi, every time I wear my abaya because you can wear whatever underneath. So you wear your like your skirt and like t-shirt underneath, like a very thin layer of silk. It's actually not bad at all. It's very cooling when you are walking. Um, and I'm glad we're changing from the color black because it's just it absorbs a lot of sun. From a scientific point of view, it's better to wear a lighter color. So this is happening now, and in, in areas like west of Saudi, they don't even cover their hair or anything, and it, like having conversations with people from the west of Saudi, they're like, what? We're supposed to cover our hair in Saudi? They didn't even know it was a thing. I don't know if that was true for a lot of people, but I had that conversation. I am like, um, yeah, I guess we have to cover our hair, but now you don't really have to. So it's like people just wear the scarf on their shoulders.
0: Well, a lot of people want to. Like, you wear a scarf and you yeah.
1: look fabulous. Ah, oh, Thank you.
0: You always do, but you wear, or you also wear very Western
1: clothes. And- yeah, and everybody in Saudi dresses like me. It's not like I'm outside of the norm. It's just people don't see a lot of Saudis in general. So when they they hear about people in the media, then they see, like, two examples who are, like, wearing a cob or wearing something different. And they're like, oh, this is how Saudi is. But Everybody just wears jeans, t-shirt and dresses. Everybody looks very stylish. Like we, like not me personally, I'm trying not to spend money on clothing. But a lot of people spend so much money on clothing and how to like look good and stuff. I mean, they go to gatherings and weddings. There are like a lot of new dresses. So
0: Well, I feel educated because I haven't been. And would I like to go? I guess so. I mean, some of the human rights abuses in... Certain countries do put me off,
1: yeah, um,
0: but then if you think about the states, you know they execute more people than anyone, uh, I think in terms of figures, so you yeah. know do people
1: boycott going there yeah it it's 's so- a tricky situation because as a traveler, you want to spend your money correctly, like you know when there is like a massacre in a country you 're like ooh i don't want to go there like. What's happening in Sudan right now? It's like, I want to support them. But at the same time, do I want to travel and support the government in ways of like paying for the visa, paying for the customs? You know, so it's a very, again, it's not black and white. It's like you have to reassess the situation. And Saudi has a lot of really nice natural trails as well. Like for people who like, you know, desert nature and different things, there are options like to just see nature. Rather than just the buildings and things yeah you
0: don't again that's not what you see in the press, is it you don't yeah. see Saudi as this beautiful place of nature you see it as a sort of an empty desert yes you don't
1: even see the like the vegetation of the desert you just see like land which is true some areas are like that but um one of my blogging friends she's originally Finnish, but she married a saudi guy like 10 years ago and she's been in saudi her name is uh well her blog name is blue abaya and she has been sharing so many gorgeous parts of saudi and like beaches that I was like, whoa, we have this in Saudi, but it's kind of it was hard for me growing up to travel within Saudi." Um, so I haven't I haven't had the chance to actually explore Saudi, and it's a bit sad for me when I travel and explore everywhere else and my own home country, I haven't done the same. I think
0: a lot of people are like that though. Yeah. If you get a chance to go abroad, you know, or to have a holiday, you go abroad rather than go to somewhere exactly. within your own country. And
1: it's like within our co- own, own country, it's like my like, my grandpa never liked to do road trips. My dad didn't either. So, we're like, I can't just go in the middle of the desert and do, like, few hours of driving by myself. Like, you need, like, either a group of women or a man or two with you. So, since that didn't happen for me, maybe it will happen in the future. Like, there's, like, I hope there's so many years ahead to explore and they're like doing so many new projects like in terms of tourism they had like a huge press trip last year sadly i wasn't involved in that um mm-hmm. they did not invite me um but it was good to actually see saudi through other people's eyes
0: uh, now you describe yourself as a muslim millennial traveling the world mindfully
1: yes well the mindfully part has started about two years ago and i'm like really conscious about my environmental impact although flying itself is not very sustainable i'm trying to like contribute into causes to plant trees apparently that's the most effective way to help the the world but it just i'm trying to not do the just the luxurious things that arabs have been stereotyped to do so everybody when they think Arabs traveling they're like oh they're splashing their money and just like you know doing all these things that they didn't think much about but in my view I'm trying to you know care for the locals when I go like when I choose a hotel I try not to choose like a chain hotel. I would either stay with a local or find something that's owned by locals. When I go to, especially in Europe, it's really easy to find this information out and even to find local crafters to buy your presents from. So this is how I mean by mindful and then like I'm trying to take it a bit deeper than the surface. Like there's nothing wrong with everyone's style of travel. It's up to them. But this is what I'm trying to do to like kind of lower my environmental impact and be more mindful of the locals and their needs because traveling is not just about me having a good time it's about them it's their country it's their comfort and i'm just a guest who just sees it and then be respectful towards everybody else or at least that's what i try and do
0: i think that's admirable and it is it is a conundrum isn't it as someone who likes travel and we know that aeroplanes are pretty rubbish for the yes. environment but everyone does what we can. My personal thing is I don't eat meat and meat is pretty rubbish for the yeah. environment and I don't have a car and I try and use public transport as much exactly. as possible and things like that. We all do our bit but travel it's- is important in many ways because it opens your eyes and mm. it helps reduce prejudice and
1: definitely and it's like the thing with like i see a lot of movements now they're like ah, oh, stop flying but I, I like a lot of these countries that i go to have never seen muslims before and it's not like i'm an ambassador for like the religion but it helps when people actually meet me in person and be like oh you're a muslim that's how you act Interesting.
0: Do you feel, as a Muslim, you know, an obvious Muslim just because of the, the, mm. the headscarf, do you feel any pressure to, to sort of be an ambassador almost?
1: It's like, it's usually important to present a good side. But, you know, I'm an Arab, after all, we are hot-blooded. So some situations I try and have like full composure. But some situations you obviously would snap at something or be like, Annoyed about something. And I try my best to just be chill.
0: But that must be really annoying because, you know, Christians or British people or, you know, white British people do not feel that they have to go out and be an ambassador for that. Mm. Do you feel that must be very frustrating because the whole Islamic terrorist thing, you know, people have started to, not everyone, Mm. not everyone is a complete idiot, but there are people there that will judge Muslims
1: that on site. the thing is it's true but I try not to think about it as much so I usually when I travel I just do my own thing and it's just the situations when I would get annoyed is when I'm like chill out you know be cool it's gonna be okay and I noticed that just smiling at people helps Like in London, it's really hard to smile at anyone. (laughs) It's just like on the tube. I do. I
0: smile at everyone and talk to people. They must think I'm in that case.
1: Really, it's just like on the tube. There's like, I don't smile. So people, like people who meet me in London, if they haven't spoken to me, and then they meet me in another country where I'm smiling, they like completely different person. Yeah, it's like (laughs) what is happening there
0: i do like london in the way that when something happens like when there's a delay when people when one person starts to talk to someone oh yeah everyone joins in don't mm-hmm. they and it's almost like we've been repressing our social <laughs> urges and now we're gonna let them out we're all gonna yeah. talk to each other and i love it when you have those sort of encounters those personal encounters in london so tell me about some of the places you have been where where have you enjoyed most
1: oh it's really hard to say like i Really enjoyed most of the places I've been to. I really like Iran. It's absolutely gorgeous. Like the architecture just makes you cry. And the architecture of Iran is actually the subject that I'm studying for my PhD and because it's so fascinating you're like whoa the people are nice the food is amazing it's just one of the nice places that always deliver so I've I'd been there. i love to
0: go there I've heard so you much about to. it it sounds beautiful and green as well surprisingly yes. green.
1: It, depending on where you go like um, some areas more deserty but you get a lot of nature and different types as well the architecture wherever you go is fascinating it just like the history of persia in general is really good it's like it's one of my favorite places i've been like four times i think and every time i had a very different experience and there's like so many things to do still like i would love to try skiing in iran like i haven't been and it's just everybody tells me about it i'm like yes i'd love to do like visit some of the islands that they have that are like super beautiful i haven't been there yet just did the mainland um So, Iran is gorgeous. Bosnia was really nice from the places I've been to to Europe. Like, I didn't have a lot of expectations. And one of my friends was like, Do you want to go to Croatia and Bosnia? And I was like, Okay. Like, literally, that was the conversation. And she was like, She loves. Planning, so she was like, "I have a very specific plan based on a book I read." I was like, "Okay, let's we'll just follow this plan. I don't mind." So I didn't do a lot of research in advance because she wanted to take you know the lead on it. And when I went, it was so. Surprisingly nice, it's just like everything was amazing. Some of the exhibitions in the galleries were so sad, though. I was there reading the information and just crying. I remember spending a day in Sarajevo of just crying. But other than that, other than the dark points of history that happened actually in our lifetime, and I
0: was gonna say, this is very recent history. Yeah, I mean, not- I remember yeah. that war, I remember watching it on TV, I remember. At Spain, in Spain, we had refugees, mm. you know, people that had come and, you know, were stuck and couldn't go home.
1: Yeah, it you know. is just like. And as
0: a Muslim as well, that must have been. Oh, know.
1: it was like. The thing is, everybody talks badly about everybody else sometimes. Like, uh, when I was in Croatia, they're like blaming the Ottomans for a lot of things. But the Ottomans happened, I don't know, between the 15th and the 18th century. So it is recent ish, but not as recent. So I remember somebody, and when I was Montenegro later on was like, oh, Bosnians need to get over it. But she referenced the Ottomans being really awful. And I'm like, wait, which one happened sooner and which person needs to get over what? And it's just like, it's interesting, like I, because I don't know a lot about, like I know the main facts, but I don't know the stories and the personal struggles. Like I have another Serbian friend who was like, she said that her dad was forced to go. And if he didn't, he would have to leave. And it's just like, you don't see a lot of stories from the deep side of people just the people as them without the government without the clashes and now like her brother studies in bosnia and it's just like it's interesting to be like this is where travel is amazing and you wouldn't get this in a textbook you have to go in person i appreciate that we don't need to travel all the time for the environment but at the same time it's a different type of education especially for like women of color for like a minority religions although islam is not really a minority religion depending on where you go and it's just it it was it was fascinating like the whole area around there and like around bosnia croatia and montenegro was just it was such life lessons i didn't know everybody was nice equally though in all the countries. Everybody was so respectful. In general I found Eastern Europe is a great place to travel mm-hmm. around. So I've been to different places within Eastern Europe, like um I went to Romania, went to the Czech Republic, went to like all like little different places like Lithuania and Estonia that people like, What? You're going there? Why? And they're always surprisingly nice. They're just I say surprisingly because not a lot of people talk about them at all so it's not like there's negative things it's just no one talks about them as much like everybody talks about Italy everybody talks about France but not a lot of people will tell you about Romania.
0: I've been to Romania it's very very interesting place yeah and also I think what you're saying about like going to the you know sort of going to these places where the the the, the history of the conflict is so recent Mm. you can't get that in textbooks you can't you know, you see the walls with the bullet holes in them still. Yes. You see, you go to Dubrovnik and you see the, the destruction that happened in that beautiful, beautiful yeah. walled city and how they've recovered that. Mm. And you cannot get that from textbooks. It, yeah. is, it is really something else to, to be there, which is why, why you know, like we're both on the same page in terms of travel is so ex- important for broadening the mind and also going some way to help prevent those things from happening again.
1: Mm, Definitely. You spent quite a lot of time in Morocco. I went on different times. So I think the longest I spent was two weeks at a time. So I just went for different times and they were for different things. So the first time those two girls I met on Instagram who are like my friends now, they were like, oh, we're going to Morocco. I was like, hmm. I'm gonna be in Spain the week before that. I'll jo- I'll meet you there. I'll just join. So that's how like my first trip to Morocco happened. And I've always wanted to go because you know they're, they're a mix of Arabs and Amazil, and I really wanted to see the place because everybody is talking about Morocco. And as a person from the Middle East and North Africa, like I really wanted to be there even more. And it was so interesting the first time. I was like. A bit confused because it, like the salesmen they're a bit much mm-hmm. they're like so in your face. So I was like okay interesting maybe only in Marrakesh because it's so popular. So next time I go I'm gonna go somewhere different. So I went to Fez and it was beautiful but it was similar experience in terms of the salespeople and I'm like okay this is starting to like be a bit much but you can't deny that the architecture is amazing and people behind closed doors, people, the locals themselves that are not selling in the market are actually really generous. And my friend lived there for a year to study Arabic and she was like, come back to Fez and I'll show you a different side of Morocco that you haven't seen, that I have seen because I've lived here for a year. Like every weekend, her neighbors won't let her be alone. They were like, but you're alone. Come have lunch with us. Come do this with us. And they were so caring. And she was there during the month of fast. And she was literally in a new house every single night because people just wanted to share all of that. And it's just nice. So the second time I went to Fez, that was like my third um, time in Morocco. It was amazing because... I didn't go around the souk area and I just met the people of Morocco that you don't normally see. Especially women because they don't sell in shops. So you don't really see them or interact with them. But then when you do, they're like, amazing, they're so nice and their cooking is so much better than any of those restaurants oh, the
0: food is just amazing isn't it yes. it really is incredible I love it I know that one of the things you do like you talked about your PhD um, in Iranian architecture is that yes right? I know your one of your Instagram pages is about Islamic art in general yes. Have you been to, you mentioned Spain, have you been to the Alhambra? Yes, it
1: was one, Granada actually was one of my main solo trips that I've done because I've been living abroad. So I lived in the US, I lived in Manchester and I lived in London and I haven't really ventured out from my host countries or host cities. So there is a group called Art of Islamic Pattern and they do uh, trips abroad and I've done a class with them here in London And then they were like, oh, we have this trip in Granada, we're going to paint in Alhambra and we're going to just be there. I was like, oh my God, I cannot let this pass me by. It's a bit of a theme
0: for you. Someone says I'm going somewhere, you're like, great, let's go. I love that, I absolutely love that.
1: So that started it and when I was in Granada, I was like, I can't just go to Spain and not go to Barcelona as well and see all Gaudi's work. And then you can't just go to a place where you can't go to the capital and see how it is. So that trip became like a 10-day trip for me. So I did those three cities in Spain, and then I went to Morocco, and then I got back. There, when you are surrounded by patterns, it's just a whole different feeling.
0: Oh, the the tiles and the geometrics. So beautiful. and beautiful. The, the Alhambra is literally breathtaking when you walk in. You, it takes your breath away. It's, it's gorgeous. Incredible.
1: And we stayed like in the afternoon around the garden area, just constructing patterns and they didn't love it as much, the security people, because they kinda asked us to leave after a while. But <laughs> it was really nice being in that atmosphere and that's how things started. So I It all started because people were like, oh, as an Arab, what do you think of Islamic architecture? And I had, like, no idea. Yeah, you
0: need to think, I need to formulate an opinion here. (laughs) It's
1: just like, all my education has been Western education, studying Western art and Western architecture, and I had no idea about Islamic art. So when I found out about them, and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to know more about this. And I got kind of interested in that area from painting. And then I was like, I'm going to add this into my master's research. How it, This is how it started. And from there, when I was doing my paintings and some of the drawings, people were really interested. So it was originally part of my original page. But then they were so interested in just that rather than the travel. So I was like, okay, let me separate the accounts. And I started IslamicIllumination.com. And it was a very specific type of Islamic art. So it's not just all the patterns so it does have an element of geometric patterns but at the same time it's mostly about organic vegetal patterns and that's what i focus on and how to paint them with pure gold how to paint them with pure gold so i use 23 or 24 karat gold do you yes to paint some of those patterns that sounds expensive it, it, it does get a bit expensive like after a while, but it's not terrible because you can buy the little booklets local in the UK for like 20 pounds, but the making of it takes three days. So it's expensive in terms of time. <laughs> but this is how the traditional way it was happening. They would illuminate the Quran on the side and the borders. And I just really love that. And now I teach the arts and, I, and it kind of funds my travel in a lot of ways and people are like how can you make money from art and then travel it's like it's but this is how it became. It wasn't planned. None of this was planned. It just happened.
0: It's two... The things that a lot of people, creative people, dream about is making money from art and being able
1: to travel yes. for job. I mean, it's just like, it's amazing. It's not very sustainable and in the long run, you can't pay a mortgage with that, but you can take a few trips. So it's all... It's a win-win.
0: Where else have I missed in terms of countries that you've really um, felt you've enjoyed?
1: I really, like, I love Portugal. That's like another one I don't think I just mentioned. And it's just, it was amazing. I went there three times and I want to go again. And I want to discover more because it's more than just Lisbon or Mm Sintra or Porto. It's just like so many parts and it's a big country. Um, And they have, um, in the Algarve, they have the Islamic heritage, which was really interesting when I visited and... I was like oh i want to go see like the moroccan castle and the tiles and it's just every time you go you learn so many new things and yeah i and love it
0: and again you know talking of food portuguese food is just yeah wow, it's so good yeah i wine. like their fish yeah i suppose you don't drink the wine no do i don't no. drink the wine or try the meat
1: but the fish so you're, is really are you a vegetarian good. Oh, um, pescatarian. Um, kind of like i only eat halal meat yes. so when i'm traveling Unless you're going to an ethnic restaurant, you don't really find a lot of halal things. So, like, you can't find a halal Romanian restaurant, but you can find um, an Indian restaurant in Romania. So, it depends what, like, for me, I really like the local food. So, I would go to a local restaurant with a vegetarian option rather than a halal ethnic place. Um, not that I don't support it, obviously, it's great to have that, but I want to have the full experience, even with my specific diet, let's just say.
0: I've been places probably actually ma- mainly in Eastern Europe where you say I don't eat meat and they just put ham on anyway, you know,
1: <laughs> oh, that would be a nightmare. <laughs> Thankfully, that did not happen. But I heard stories that used to happen. Yeah. But now because there's more vegetarian. Yeah. People, things that
0: People are getting more aware. of. Yeah, they really are.
1: And like the vegan scene in Eastern Europe is actually impressive. Mm, but, I, haven't look, I haven't looked it up, um,
0: you know, specifically because I'm not vegan. Yeah, so.
1: but Prague, I was so impressed. I went to three vegan restaurants that were absolutely amazing.
0: I had great food in Prague as well. This mm. is turning out to be a theme. I think it's because I haven't had lunch yet. <laughs> Everything. It's like great food all over oh, That's yes. One of the brilliant things about travel, isn't it? Is it sampling Sorry. these new things, like good or bad. I was speaking to John Simpson for his podcast recently and he was talking about some of the hideous things he's eaten in the name of travel and just to keep the locals happy, like roasted monkey and he was oh. describing this poor little monkey that has a skewer through its you know, bottom yeah. and, and out of its mouth. And it's like it's it's just a little monkey going round on a on a spit I mean I guess we're just not
1: used to that but if it was a sheep we would be kind of more accepting what's the difference between a monkey and a sheep I guess there isn't like a lot but the thing is Islamically we have very specific animals we can and can't eat so is a monkey on there (laughs) it's not on the to eat list unfortunately (laughs) um but in that case i would always say i'm a vegetarian but it's like it's nice to see that because you know you you always see people making faces at different foods but when you actually go into the country and see the delicacies and it's just it's so interesting
0: it is interesting even if you don't want to have yeah, it yeah exactly very interesting. before i ask you my last question where can we find you give us your blog details and instagram oh, details. yes
1: so you can find me on arabian Wondrous. um in most places arabianwonders.com at arabianwonderess for Instagram I should spell that actually it's Arabian and Wonders it's W-A-N-D-R-E-S-S so it's double S. I know it's, it's not a correct spelling. Isn't it? Wondress is not a word. Apparently.
0: No, I, I kind of, I thought it was all right, actually. I, um,
1: uh, I thought it quite was. happy to
0: invent words, though. As well. Yeah,
1: but I invented the word, although they told me Google ranking won't like it, but it's doing okay. Good. So at where I've been wondrous in most places. And if you want to see my art, it's Islamicillumination.com and at Islamicillumination in most places.
0: And your art is brilliant. And I'd like to, I will have a look at more of it now I know that it's painted in gold. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I will ask for my last question. I've just got one thing that I haven't asked you. Mm. You know, as a solo female traveller and a solo Muslim female traveller, has there ever been any time that you've felt threatened or vulnerable?
1: The thing is, when I choose the locations, I choose them pretty carefully. So I don't just go for it. Well, I would go for a lot of cheap locations, but if there is danger in terms of like there are a lot of hate crimes against muslims i would try and avoid the place and it's just like usual caution in terms of just not being alone at night and i don't do like i don't do nightlife so i'm not at out at night anyway so during the day in most areas you're safe as long as like you know you're not deserted somewhere so I've been I guess lucky in my interactions and people have been nice people didn't like me they just didn't like me it's okay but no one was threatening
0: so my last question is always about music because I often think that music and travel go hand Mm. in hand and if you had to pick one song that reminds you of a special or Uh. memorable time place of travel what would that song be and
1: why Oh my gosh, I'm like the worst at remembering names of songs and lyrics. So I listen to a lot of songs, but I'm really terrible at remembering um, the names. But there is like a Tunisian band of like a girl and a guy called Yuma. And they're very relaxing and I like their songs. They're new, so they only have two albums. Um, And they're just so chill. I like to listen to them sometimes on commute.
0: Okay, well, I'll look them up. It's good to have a new band, a, tun- a new, a relatively new Tunisian band, and they're called?
1: Yuma. Y-U-M-A?
0: Y U M A. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much for coming on the Big Travel Podcast. Thank you for having It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much, Ezra. Next week, we have Guardian columnist and actor and author, Rick Samada. And having already recorded this interview last week in London, I know you are going to love him.